Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us on the final Saturday of January. Can you believe that the first month of the year has basically gone away and we're headed into February? You know, we're inching closer and closer to a gardener's favorite time of year, which is spring. Uh, really, it may be everybody's favorite time of year. I don't know. I, I like the fall time myself. I don't mind the winter. I just like the change. I like the fact that, uh, you know, here in the South, for a few months, we'll be un- experiencing certain weather conditions. And then a few, you know, months after that, it's something different. And so uh, we are getting closer to spring. There's a lot of things we need to be doing. Um, but today we're going to continue our conversation that we started last week. Now, last week, we started talking all about pruning because pruning is going to be one of those uh, definite things you may have to do in the landscape, especially as we get closer to spring. Now, spring is the beginning of pruning season. No matter what you may have thought or seen landscapers do, because we always see landscapers pruning in the winter. And I'll tell you why they prune in the winter. They prune in the winter because they have nothing else to do. (laughs) There's no grass to cut for these landscapers. So they have extra time on their hands and they decide to do their pruning. But you'll remember last week, I let you know that winter is not the best time for pruning. It's by far the best time because in the winter, the plant cannot, uh, is not actively growing. And when you make a pruning cut, you're making a wound. And since the plant is not actively growing, well, guess what? That means it can't heal. It cannot heal the kind of damage you're doing to it very quickly. And when we prune a plant, we are, we got to accept the fact we're, we're wounding it and we want it to heal very quickly. So, in case you uh, missed last week's program, I thought I'd summarize the topics that we talked about last week before we continue our conversation. Now, I do want to remind you that if you'd like to listen to last week's program or any program that you might have missed throughout the several years that New Southern Garden has been on the air, well, you can check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and your podcasting apps on your smart devices. So be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com because I would like for you to leave questions um, if you've got any. I know today is technically the last Saturday of the month, and it's when I've dedicated time to answer your questions, but I hated to just break up our discussion on pruning uh, and try to get back into it next week. So next week, we will answer your questions uh, about whatever you may be dealing with in your landscape. It doesn't have to be a question. Give us some comments. Tell us what's going on in your landscape, what's blooming. Maybe send us some pictures on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to stay in touch with you uh, in that special way. 
But last week, we did start our discussion on pruning. Uh, One of the first things we talked about was the reasons why we prune. So really quickly, there are five main reasons why we prune. Number one is to improve, 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 no, improve the form of a plant, the shape of a plant. Sometimes plants, uh, they have their natural shapes and natural forms, but they can get wild hairs. They may get too out of shape. And so we use pruning in order to shape up our plants, improve their form. Now, the other thing we talked about was uh, pruning is used to remove unnecessary branches. Unnecessary branches include uh, old branches, maybe on a uh, apple tree. Old branches may not produce many fruits, and so it's got to be removed. Um, diseased branches, water sprouts, which were kind of a unique type of branch that you may want to check out last week's program about. But crossed branches, things that are growing across each other, uh, they tend to rub. They rub and cause major problems. Now, broken and damaged branches, of course, just like diseased branches, broken and damaged branches usually need to be removed because they can set in an infection. Uh, That is a point source, a broken or damaged branch, especially like after the ice and snow that we've had a couple of weeks ago, you may see some broken limbs and branches. I know I have, not just uh, at my own garden, but also at the uh, nursery. Of course, that's Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. We have some old trees, and there are some broken branches. Now, the third reason we would prune is to stimulate growth. Uh, it kind of seems counterintuitive, I know, but in many times, pruning a plant will, and s- pruning a plant at certain times of the year will stimulate growth. Uh, Number four was to control flowering. We want to make sure that uh, plants flower, and sometimes when we prune, we cut off flowers, so we've got to be careful of those plants, but also some plants are stimulated to flower on new growth, and pruning can be very beneficial. Things like roses uh, or limelight hydrangeas, the panicled hydrangeas are some good examples. Now, um, The other thing that we were talking about, of course, is that there are some special ways that we may use pruning, and that was the fifth point, using pruning in a special way so that you sort of get a special effect. Now, most of the time, these are this is the art of gardening, I like to say, a part of the art of gardening. Uh, basically, these, uh, you know, topiaries and, and things, things that are pruned in a certain shape or form. Sometimes you see animals being, sh- uh, plants shaped into animals. Uh, sometimes plants are shaped into uh, uh, geometric shapes like, triangles, or I should say pyramids, uh, squares, you know, those are spirals, spirals are a good one, round, perfectly round globes, things like that. Pruning can create or help you create special effects that can go, can be pretty impressive. And so that's topiary, and we actually, today, we're going to get to uh, some of those specialty pruning techniques uh, and, you know, it, it does take maintenance. When you're pruning a plant to stay in a certain shape or form, you do have to maintain that shape and form. And so I know not all folks and not all gardeners and not all landscapes are conducive for that. But if it's something you're interested in, I thought we'd talk a little bit about that later today. Then, of course, we talked about uh, where and when to prune. 
uh, remember that when you're pruning anything, you want to prune near a bud. Uh, a bud is that simple spot or area along a branch where leaves emerge. Sometimes, especially this time of year, you will see little tiny buds that are just waiting to unfurl in the spring and become leaves. Uh, but in the summer, where those leaves have already sprouted from is still the bud. And that's a good place, just about an eighth or a quarter of an inch above that bud. Leave a little space, not too much, because if you leave too much of a space above that bud, it can die back and cause a little bit of disease. But right where the bud is, that's where the plant is going to sort of seal itself from uh, the environment, if you will. So we don't want to cut too far away. If you're trimming a large tree, for instance, and you're taking out an entire branch, don't leave a stub. Don't leave a stub, whatever you want to call it. Don't leave any part of that branch. When you're pruning a large tree and you're taking the, um, the branch completely back to the trunk, you want to make that cut at the branch collar, which is a swollen area around the base of the branch. Some plants, it's very distinctive, and other trees and shrubs, it may not be as obvious, uh, but just going uh, uh, too far away from that branch collar, again, a stub or stob can set in rot and disease and infiltrate into the rest of the plant. If you cut it right at the branch collar, what you are doing is giving that tree an opportunity, giving that tree an opportunity to heal because there are special cells at that branch collar that are going to start expanding and growing and covering up any kind of uh, wound that we've inflicted. Now, of course, what about when to prune? Uh, I guess I sort of rushed through this last week, but we need to be pruning plants basically during the growing season when plants are actively growing. Because I can't reiterate enough that pruning is wounding, and a wound needs to heal as soon as possible. If, a, uh, if you had a wound on your arm or your hand exposed for a length of time, that is never a good thing because disease, bacteria, uh, fungus on plants, particularly disease can set in and cause that rotting. So we want to make sure that when we're wounding our plant, which is pruning, that we are giving it enough time to be able to heal. So starting sometime around the end of late winter and ending probably about Labor Day. That is a good, if you want a day on the calendar when you can say this is the last day to prune, Labor Day or the 1st of September would be uh, an ideal date to jot down. So if you're pruning though in the spring, you will find, I said last week, that spring is for growth. Spring is for growth. Spring is going to encourage the plant to flush out. So if you have a slow-growing plant that maybe is very aged and you want to see it sort of rejuvenated, uh, maybe you have some very large shrubs that you want to chop down to the ground and start over, well, spring would be the time to do that because in the spring, the plant will send up as much growth as it ever will during the year uh, for those first few weeks of spring. On the other hand, if you're pruning in the summer, remember that summer is for slowing down. Plants do grow throughout summer, but they don't have these large spikes of growth like they do in that spring flush. And so when you're pruning in the summer, you're basically... Uh, limiting the size of the plant. For instance, if you want 
um, if you have a hedge that you want to have a nice, crisp, clean edge to going into winter, you know, over summer, or if you, if you prune your hedge in spring, it'll send up those flushes. You got to keep knocking it back, right? Well, if you do it about Labor Day uh, or a little earlier than that, you can create a nice, crisp, clean edge on a hedge, an edge on a hedge that will carry over into the winter because for the most part, those plants aren't growing as much, definitely not as much as they did in spring. So remember, slowing something down, if you want to sort of uh, uh, reduce its growth, prune it in the summer. You may do thinning in the summer because thinning can help to decrease the the amount of a plant, uh, the size of a plant, and doing it in the summer will help to slow it down. So again, fall and winter, uh, fall plants are going to sleep, and in winter, they're sleeping. And so really, we don't want to do much pruning unless there's dead branches or diseased branches. Definitely get those out of the plant at any time, Uh, but otherwise... Don't do really any pruning over fall and winter. Start it about late March in our area, late winter, uh, all the way up to Labor Day. Now, we did mention, and before we go to our first break today, I do want to remind you of the two types of pruning cuts. Pruning uh, seems really intimidating and maybe complex, but the types of cuts we make on a plant can be boiled down to two simple cuts. The first cut we make uh, in pruning is called a heading cut. And a heading cut is where we trim the tips. This is what most people do when they think about pruning. They're shearing their shrubs, maybe creating little round green meatballs, if you will. Those are all heading cuts. Now, heading cuts encourages bushiness and thickness. So if you have a hedge, if you have something you're trying to, uh, uh, sort of a screen, you want to create some privacy, heading will be your main cut because it keeps your plants thick and full. But on the other hand, we have those thinning cuts. Now, thinning cuts uh, is where you are making the plant less dense. And that less uh, that lack of density is increased by removing branches from where they originate. So if you have a branch, don't just trim the tip. If you want to thin it, take it all the way back to its next branch or up to the trunk, wherever that may be. So again... Those are the two basic types of cuts we talked about last week. We have a heading cut, which of course makes things uh, very bushy and thick. But if you want to sort of uh, make a plant more airy and open, well, go ahead and do a thinning cut, taking those branches all the way back to the point where they originate. That thins them out. Well, gang, when we get back, we're going to talk about the right tool for the right job. So hang on tight. More about pruning after this break. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. 
Well, gang, let's get our pruning shears out and our chainsaws sharpened because we are continuing our discussion on pruning today. You know, pruning is one of those tasks in the garden that really sort of is intimidating. You know, it's something in the landscape that we probably shy away from. Sometimes things get overgrown, they get a bit hairy. <laughs> Sometimes when a branch off of a tree breaks, we just let it linger out there. But the reality is, you know, Mother Nature is a pruner. Mother Nature is a pruner. She prunes plants all the time. Uh, as recently, you'll probably have seen some effects of her pruning skills from the winter snow and ice we had, where the weight of the branches gets so heavy with snow and ice that branches may just crack. And when Mother Nature prunes, she leaves a nasty, jagged edge. She leaves a rough, uh, nasty wound. And that's just the way nature goes. But in the landscape, when we're pruning, we always want a clean cut. We never want a jagged edge, shredded mangle cut. As a matter of fact, a poor cut or a jagged, rough cut uh, or break that we're talking about, it increases the surface area of the wounded material, which leads to a potential increased chance of disease creeping into the plant. And I know I've been talking a lot about diseases when we're talking about pruning, because we've got to remember pruning is wounding, and we don't want our plants to become diseased because of something that we do. The idea is to try and keep the cuts as clean and really as minimal as possible, as small as possible. If you joined us last week, you'll remember that I was uh, uh, talking about a time when I was at plant school, if you will, at UGA, at horticulture uh, school, and the professor, one of the professors said, what is the best pruning tool? I mean, we're looking around at each other. Is it a pruning shear? Is it a, a, a saw? Is it a lopper? Uh, who knows, right? We're, what, what, what is the best tool? And he says, your fingertips are the best tool. Your fingertips are the best tool. So we're about to start talking about the right tool for the right job. And the first tool we're going to talk about are the fingertips. You might be surprised for, for me to list fingertips as a pruning tool. But the idea is that pruning should begin with our fingertips. By just grabbing and pinching off young growth, we are reducing the size of the wound that is made. Remember that plants can heal a smaller wound more speedily, 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 I don't know, and effectively than a large one. It's when we get into those large cuts that things can get a little scary. Anything over two inches is fairly scary. Anything over four is really scary. As a matter of fact, I think I remember one of our professors saying that uh, a, a branch that might be four to six inches in diameter will probably never heal. Four maybe, but six, it may never heal. So getting your pruning done at a younger age when the branch is smaller, that's going to help to reduce the chance of that fungus and bacteria infiltrating the wound that we've been talking about. Now, like my old horticulture professor says, remember, the best pruning tool are your fingers. Use your fingers skillfully and use them early. Prune your plants. If you see something growing from a plant that you probably don't want 
to develop into a bigger part of the plant, a bigger branch, snip it out while it is young. Now, with that being said, the next pruning tool that may come in handy are a pair of scissors. Now, there are uh, pruning scissors, which are a bit durable, a little heavy duty, if you will. But you can use scissors that are in your desk drawer or kitchen, but you've got to use scissors. Uh, well, rather, these scissors come in handy for those soft green growths, you know, cleaning up maybe herbaceous perennials, grass-like plants, cleaning up uh, annual plants or deadheading annual plants, things that are very uh, juicy, not very woody, right? Things that are very green. As a matter of fact, scissors, you can use them to make those heading cuts we were talking about to encourage bushiness on young plants. You just clip out dead heads, if you will, on perennials with those scissors. If your perennials have finished blooming, just trim them with scissors. You can use scissors. But now, as far as woody plants go, um, especially mature ones, it would probably be very tough to make a sharp, clean cut into rigid branches with scissors. So it's, it's always a great idea to keep a pair of scissors handy when you're wandering around the spring garden because things are green and juicy. <laughs> They're not very woody and hardened yet. But remember that as you get into woody plants, we may need to use the next tool we'll talk about. But scissors are very handy for green growth, uh, grass-like plants. Usually they're not very tough, you know, very maybe small ornamental grasses. And of course, herbaceous perennials. Whenever you're trimming these things back, you can start with a pair of scissors. But then the next thing we'll, uh, we'll probably need to put in our tool bag are hand shears. Now, hand shears, sometimes we call those pruners, right? Now, these are probably going to be the most used pruning tool uh, that you'll own. You see, once the stems of a plant have hardened and they're getting thicker, these are going to be your go-to tool, those pruning shears. Now, most shears are going to be able to tackle branches that are up to three-quarters of an inch in diameter. Some may be able to cut branches that are one inch in diameter, but not all hand shears are the same. Remember that there are some quality uh, products, quality shears that you can purchase. They come with a higher price but they'll last you for years. And there are some cheap ones that might even butcher your plants to pieces. So be sure to buy uh, a healthy and quality set of pruning shears. I will say that in my experience, because I have bought very cheap pruning shears, and I've also bought fairly expensive pruning shears, but anything that's less than 20 bucks is probably just trash. I remember buying a set of pruning shears. I think it had a big one and a little one. And it was probably $10 for two. <laughs> well, they did not make clean cuts. They did literally just shred those plants to pieces. But now, in addition to quality, you, you got to listen close to this. Never buy anvil-type pruning shears. Anvil action shears, they make a cut by crushing the stem between a blade and an anvil. It's sort of like a knife on a cutting board. You're not really cutting something, you're sort of crushing it, if you will, against a hard surface. Now, this leaves this horrible jagged cut, which again, has that greater chance for disease. And so when we're pruning, we don't want to leave behind that jagged rough cut. We definitely want as clean of a cut as possible. Well, 
Instead of anvil-type pruning shears, the kind of shear we need to be looking for is called a bypass pruning shear. And they're pretty much the standard uh, for what we're talking about because instead of crushing these bypass pruning shears, they use a blade that passes by sort of a hook, which gives a clean cut. It's literally a bypass action, much like uh, really a pair of scissors does. And so there's this thing called a crush zone. With the anvil pruning shears, you're crushing pretty much all around the stem because it's sort of pushing through the material on the branch. But with a bypass pruning shear, the crush zone is still there, but it's much smaller. And so we're getting a better, uh, cleaner cut, if you will. And usually that crush zone actually happens on the piece of the branch that you're removing. So it's not left behind on the branch that will remain intact with the plant. You know, with our healthy diets, you know, we eat oatmeals, we eat fresh fruits. Those are better options than uh, Hershey chocolate bars and uh, Frito-Lay chips, right? Well, think of it this way. Bypass pruning shears. Bypass pruning shears are a healthier option when you're pruning. So already we've talked about using our fingertips, using scissors, and using hand shears. Well, when we get back from this break, we are going to talk about a few larger and maybe even electrified or gas-powered tools that we can use when we're pruning larger plants. So, after this break, more about right tool for the right pruning job. Hang on tight. Stories Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang. Well, you know, we are inching closer to spring. Seems like Christmas was just yesterday, but it's been about a month now. And we're headed into warmer weather, but we still have to deal with a couple of months probably of ups and downs. You know, we have had some really nice days in our area. You know, it's been cool, but I think we had a nice 60-degree day this past week with nice sun. Beautiful day. So we should be thankful and blessed uh, by what we're getting. Now, we're going to continue talking about the right tool for the right job. When we talk about pruning, we want to make sure that we're using the right tool. Now, the best tool for pruning is using your fingers, your fingertips. The concept is we want to remove parts of plants as young as possible. Because if we wait to remove large branches from a tree or a shrub, very thick in diameter. Well, those kinds of wounds may not heal very well or at all. And of course, that will uh, jeopardize the integrity of your plant. And we love our plants, so we want to treat them right. Now, 
Before the break, we left off with hand shears. You know, those things you just hold in your hand and like a pair of scissors, sort of, except you're, you're using uh, your, all your fingers, not just a couple. You are removing parts of the plant. But there is another type of shear that we need to discuss. It's called the lopping shear. The lopping shear, sometimes people call them loppers. Well, they're very similar to those bypass pruners that we were talking about uh, as far as the way they work. But the main difference between a lopping shear or loppers and hand shears is that loppers really work on much larger scale, on a much larger scale. These loppers, they have larger blades, they have larger handles. You're using both of your hands to remove branches and you're squeezing those handles together to remove these branches and um, parts of plants. And so they can, because they have bigger uh, design, larger design, larger, uh, sh larger shears or blades, I should say, they can remove thicker materials. Now, depending on the build, depending on the type of loppers that you have, some loppers can handle maybe two inches in diameter or larger. They can cut material that is two inches in diameter or larger. So you do want to make sure that you have the right tool for the right job. That's why I called this segment right tool, right job, because if you have a large, thick branch, well, those hand pruners probably won't do the job. Making this, uh, making a quick cut on a thick branch with these loppers is quite efficient and pretty speedy. They do work pretty well. We're going to talk about some specialty loppers and pruners at the end of this segment. Um, but that would be to thin, mainly to thin branches out of a shrub or out of a tree. Those are the kinds of tools you use for thinning cuts. Now, heading cuts uh, are made by things like hedging shears. You know, there are many different kinds. There are hedging shears that look sort of like a, a horizontal pair of scissors and you use your hands on the handles, and you trim, trim, snip, 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 snip. Now, that's sort of classic uh, tool, but then, of course, there are those electric powers we'll talk about. So hedging shears, they do come in handy when you're trying to make multiple heading cuts at one time. A pair of pruning shears will only do snip, snip, snip on individual branches, but if you need to create a hedge or trim something, make it bushy, then you can use these hedging shears to make multiple heading cuts at one time. Now, of course, you can find those hand types and the power types, but regardless of which one you want to go with, they basically work the same. Because these uh, hedging shears, they remove many branch tips at once, they're generally, um, they're longer in length than, uh, shear, uh, than hand pruners would be. And they also cannot remove as thick of material uh, since so much of the plant is being inserted between the blades. So again, right tool for the right job. If you're looking to remove uh, tips of a hedge, tips of an entire shrub, these hedging shears will work, but not going too far down into the plant. If you try to remove a diameter that is too thick, then you will have a rough, nasty cut. We don't want that. So most of these hedging shears could probably only remove stems that are really no larger than three-eighths of an inch in diameter. And these hand hedging shears, they're a little slower than the powered ones, but they do allow you maybe more precision. Uh, 
You know, you've seen the landscapers, maybe in your own landscape, using electric or gas-powered shears, hedging shears, and it's just a uh, very quick, very broad, not very detailed tool. Um, And so more precision, uh, they do give you that manual power, so it comes with a bit more technique. You know, they may be intimidating to get started with, but if you've never used hedging shears before, you may practice on some plants that, yeah, you know, aren't too obvious. So if you mess up, they'll regrow, uh, but you've learned something. Now, if you've got hours of hedging to do and hedge trimming, then you may want to do a use a powered trimmer. Um, that may be more necessary. Now, powered trimmers, of course, come as a gas-powered, which would take a, a fuel and oil, and you got to do checkups on that. Uh, but there are some very convenient battery-powered ones by many different companies. You can find them at the hardware stores usually. Yes, the box stores, unfortunately, but they these batteries are convenient. I like to use them because you have to buy several batteries because they may last you, depending on how often you use them, uh, less than an hour, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, but you can have some ready to charge probably in that same amount of time. So if you have two batteries or three, if you have multiple batteries, you can have some on the charger and be using some in the garden and rotate them as you need them. So you don't have to worry about the oil so much. You don't have to worry about the gasoline, which, of course, those prices are going skyrocketed. (laughs) But uh, regardless, either one is fine. But remember, the main difference in these hedging shears is a manual uh, shear is going to be probably more detailed, a little more technique. You may have to use, uh, you know, some some experience, get get some hours on your belt there. But then the powered ones are very effective if you've got a large hedge uh, and don't need to make so many detailed trims. Now, what about as we get into plants that have very large diameters? If we're going above maybe two inches, it's probably time to think about a pruning saw. A pruning saw. When you have a branch that's on the larger side, um, maybe even three quarters of an inch, depending on uh, if you have a nice pair of loppers that can do the job, but definitely three quarters or an inch up to two inches, you may consider using a pruning saw. So as that diameter of a branch increases, remember, so does its rigidness, so does its toughness, if you will. Now this toughness or rigidity, it's not easily handled by cutting, snipping type shears, and that will result in jagged edges, which again, is a big no-no when we're talking about pruning techniques. We want a clean cut. I can't stress that enough. So pruning saws, they operate like any saw would really, except a good pruning saw is going to have cutting teeth that cut on the pull and cut on the push of the saw. So when you're pushing the saw, you're cutting. When you're pulling the saw, you're cutting. Now, there are some pruning saw blades that are flat, and others are sort of uh, bent, sort of curved just a bit. Uh, They're sort of slightly bent towards the branch, if you will, if you can imagine putting that saw. You've probably seen those with a uh, bit of a curve. Now, that helps to aid in uh, easy cutting through the wood, particularly with a branch, because branches aren't flat. They're round. So having just a bit of a curve can be very beneficial. 
But pruning saws, they have a little bit of upkeep. We don't want them to get rusty, so we don't want to leave them outside. If we can bring them into the tool shed, bring them into the garage, bring them into the barn, wherever you have to to store your tools. You may want to oil them a bit, grease them just to keep um, moisture away. You can, again, with all of these pruning implements, you can clean them regularly with either rubbing alcohol or a bleach water solution. We talked about that last week. Now, that's going to keep the blade clean in the sense of sterilized. So if you have a bit of bacteria on one plant and you sterilize it, sterilize your tool in between uh, making another cut, that keeps the spread of bacteria or fungus at bay. Because we don't want to, you know, when you're in the hospital, (laughs) I guess I said this last week, but when you're in the hospital, they don't reuse needles They use a fresh, clean needle every time they uh, stick you or another patient. They definitely don't want to cross-contaminate people with potential diseases. Same goes with plants. If we have a dirty pruning shear, pruning saw, whatever, then we might be cross-contaminating these plants with other diseases. So pruning saws are that next upgrade for a large diameter branch. Then finally, if we're getting into above two inches, and we're going into four inches uh, as far as the thickness of a branch goes, a chainsaw will be the next bet. Chainsaw will be the next tool for those larger things. Now, you know, I've always been intimidated by chainsaws probably because uh, as a kid, well, teenager, I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, you know, it's a little scary. But there are battery-powered chainsaws, just like battery-powered hedging shears, And they do require oil for the blade, for the chain, the chain and bar oil, they call it, but they don't require gasoline. So some of these start at maybe 8 or 10 inches uh, for a blade, which is a good size for small pruning jobs on trees that you and I can handle without having to bring in a tree company to remove very large things. But the chainsaw is really the monster of pruning tools. It's loud, it's boisterous, uh, but a chainsaw can remove these very large thick branches um, as well as remove complete trees right to the ground. If you've got to get rid of a tree, you're most likely going to be using a chainsaw. So once we start talking about jobs that require the assistance of a chainsaw, it might be appropriate to consult an arborist. Like I said, you may have to bring in uh, tree folks to do the job because, you know, the large wounds that are left behind uh, by the handiwork of the chainsaw, if you will, well, they're the kinds of wounds that we would be most concerned with. Like I've said before, it takes a long time for the plant to heal from these very large cuts, that kind of large damage to the tree. But if it's performed appropriately and successfully, the tree will have really no problems. We've just got to make sure that we've made the best cut possible. So chainsaws are another thing that you definitely want to add to your tool bag for the appropriate size job. Now, the last bit of of tools that I want to talk about are called ratcheting shears or ratcheting loppers. Now, these are kind of new to me. The first time that I tried them out was at this plant show that I was at. Uh, we were exhibiting some plants at for our nursery, and there was a vendor nearby who had these ratcheting shears. Now, the salesman handed me these overly mechanically designed secutors, and, and he let me have a go at it. And I'll say that they do cut 
very delightfully. They have an ease about them that I've never really felt before with the pruning shears. These ratcheting loppers were really just simple to use. Um, As a matter of fact, at the time, my grandmother was still living, and she gave it a try, and she could easily remove larger branches with these ratcheting loppers that I had uh, given a try with. And so look into ratcheting loppers. They sort of are very mechanical. Uh, You just squeeze a bit and then pull back, and it locks. You squeeze a bit, pull back, it locks, until you've squeezed so many times that the plant is cut. The branch is severed. And so there's less effort on your behalf. And if you have problems with your hands, arthritis or something, ratcheting pruning shears may be a good option. After this, gang, we're going to talk about specialty pruning jobs uh, when we get back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, just to quickly summarize the types of pruning tools that you need in your uh, pruning tool bag for your garden is going to be your fingertips, trying to get things uh, out of the plant, away from the plant, as young as possible. You can use scissors, you can use hand shears, and of course, lopping shears for bigger diameter things. Hedging shears come in handy when you're trying to create a hedge, obviously, or create density, removing those those tips of plants uh, to beef a plant up if it looks a little thin and sparse. And then in very large, very large materials on a tree are going to have to be removed with a pruning saw or a chainsaw. And the last little uh, tool that I gave you before the break, of course, was ratcheting shears, ratcheting pruners. They take a little bit of stress off of your hands. Uh, like the salesman pitched to me, ratchet pruners uh, make pruning so easy that grandma can do it. It is, they are very easy. If you haven't found them, uh, be on the lookout because ratchet shears, if they're used right and you get used to how to use them, they make pruning very easy. Now, the last bit of information about pruning we're going to talk about in this series on all about pruning is specialty pruning techniques. Now, in addition to pruning for plant health and just general form, sometimes we do need to employ some special pruning techniques to achieve a certain mood or feel, maybe a a special feature for our landscape. And so I'm going to talk about six specialty pruning techniques, which might come in handy if you're looking for something a little different in the landscape. Now, topiary is the first. Topiary, have you ever wanted to shape a tree into the form of a dinosaur or maybe some other creature? Well, if so, you've uh, you've got that desire 
desire to create a topiary. And of course, it doesn't have to be a dinosaur, but the art of shaping plants into some unnatural form is known as topiary. Now, this could include globes, square boxes, pyramids, yes, cats, and chickens. Uh, I knew a gardener, uh, saw a gardener once who loved his dog so much that he started shaping some boxwoods into the shape of his dog. And the dog passed away, and I think he planted him near that topiary. So, a little out there, a little interesting. But topiaries have recently been popular uh, product to grow in containers. Uh, you know, we may put topiaries on either side of an entryway. We may use spiral plants in containers. Uh, it's definitely a part of the art of horticulture that we talk about. And I think we should use it more often. Why should we use it more often? Well, because we can, uh, because it's a good conversation piece, if anything. Now, some plants do respond better to uh, this technique. Uh, Generally, those plants that have small leaves uh, and grow slower are desired. And I'll tell you why. You know, boxwoods, yews, Japanese hollies, maybe fine-leaved conifers, they're usually prized for topiary. We want them to have small leaves because we're going to be shearing them often, and we don't want big leaves on the plant uh, because we'll be shearing those leaves and they'll be jagged edges. They just won't look good, and it does expose the leaf to potential potential disease problems. And then we want them to grow slower because with topiary, we don't want to have to be pruning every week or every two weeks. So boxwoods have historically been used, but Japanese hollies look a lot like boxwoods and they tend to work just fine as well. So get creative with your plants. Uh, See what they can do for you and your garden. Uh, It's not only fun, but I guess it is sort of chic in a way. Now, there is a strange and old technique called coppice, coppicing. Coppicing is this old technique of woodland management. It's where trees are periodically cut down to the ground. Now, this provides a vigorous and numerous regrowth from the base of the plant, and it also, which they call a stool. Sometimes coppicing happens on crepe myrtles here. You know, this time of year, a lot of people trim their crepe myrtles back to these stools, these really knob-like structures. And uh, then, of course, in spring, they regrow with vigorous growth. And so whether we know that's what that's called or not, coppicing is where uh, several every few years or maybe every year you're cutting your plants back down. Now, uh, back in the old days, coppicing was used to create branches for firewood. Um, But today, coppicing can create these straight, solid stems that can be harvested to use uh, as canes for staking in the vegetable garden. So if you have some trees that you want to coppice, um, if you're doing it this way, you probably don't want to trim that plant for every, say, seven years or so, because that will give you a new crop of thick, straight branches that you can use to prop up your tomatoes with. Instead of buying bamboo or metal stakes at the hardware store, you can grow them yourself by coppicing some of your plants. Now, pleaching. Pleaching is personally one of my favorite strange pruning techniques, because it's basically where you're Um, intertwining branches of individual plants and and they sort of essentially grow together. Now this technique comes in handy when you're trying to create a formal, maybe intricate hedge or a canopy of interwoven branches. Uh, Really, pleaching is the combination of pruning and weaving plants together. Now, this technique is very interesting, and it sort of creates these living arbors uh, in which two rows of the same plant have been allowed to grow together and their branches intertwine. 
course, it's hard to describe how to do all these uh, <laughs> vocally. Uh, you may want to check some of these photos of pleaching out online and see if you can use it. Now, pollarding is where we remove branches of a particular tree to one point every year or biannually. That's essentially what we're doing with those crepe myrtles. We're pollarding them. We didn't know that's what it's called probably, but that is a good French term uh, for cutting branches back to the same point every year. It does create that callous knob, and you can bet the tree will recover with a burst of branches from that knob every year, just like we see with our crepe myrtles around here. Now, it does give you sort of this formal feel, um, which we do get with that crepe myrtle uh, that's pruned back every year. It's obviously been reworked. It's not its natural growing form, um, but regardless, that is one example of modern-day pollarding. Now, espalier, espalier is another French word, and it's where if you need a plant to grow flat on a flat plane, sometimes we do this with grapes and figs and even camellias. You can grow a you know large camellia up against your house if you espalier it. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. My aunt has a uh, camellia she purchased years ago that was grown in this fashion. It's sort of out of shape now, and we're going to probably try to help regain that espalier form because it's right up against the house. So it does give you a nice garden feature, and it can be a good focal point. Now, everybody's probably familiar with this last one. It's called bonsai. Now, bonsai comes from Japan, and it's basically uh, where plants are pruned and trained to become miniatures of the parent plant. It's a very high-demanding craft, really, but it is one that produces very unique results. So with a Japanese-themed garden, bonsai would be a, a necessity, really. It would really fit in. But plants that have become bonsai, they can be used as houseplants or patio table features. You can create and maintain true bonsais, well, to create them and to maintain them is quite involved. Uh, and it's more than just a pruning technique. It's really a complete production method. But these are just some of the ways that plants can respond to our pruning. Topiary, coppicing, pleaching, pollarding, espalier, and bonsai. These are all very unique and interesting features that can make your garden feel a little more unique or special, uh, particularly for you. Now, it does come with some maintenance. You've got to stay on top of these pruning techniques, uh, but otherwise, it may be something that nobody else in your land, in your neighborhood has. Okay, gang, so next week, we're going to answer your questions. Check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And for New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.